Hello, and welcome to Genealogy Adventures. I'm Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. How are you guys doing today? Hope you guys are having a great Sunday. Yes. So we've yes. got a great, great show in store for you today. Uh, we, we are going to be joined by Jennifer Hurst-Wender and Andy Kumbo floyd who are both working on a project with Preservation Virginia. It all has to do with Patrick Henry's Scotchtown uh, estate in Beaverdam, Virginia. So for the first half of the show, we're going to be joined by Jennifer. Um, the second half of the show, we're going to be joined by Andy. So Jennifer, uh, welcome very much to the show, and we're really pleased to have you here. And we're back. And this time we really do have Jennifer. Um, so as I said in my introduction, the first half of the show, we're going to be joined by Jennifer Hurst-Wender. She's the Director of Museum Operations at Preservation Virginia. She has just so much experience with archival research and historical research. So Jennifer, the way we're doing it is we're going to have you for the first half of the show, and we're going to be joined by Andy the second half of the show. So um, if you'd like to um, just give us a little bit of information about your background, um, the work that Preservation Virginia does, and how the whole kind of Scotchtown project came to be. Great, sure. Um, so I'm the uh, Director of Museum Operations for Preservation Virginia. And so I work with all of our historic sites. Um, and so that includes Patrick Henry's Scotchtown, the John Marshall House, Bacon's Castle, Smith's Fort, uh, Cape Henry Lighthouse, and we also um, own Scotchtown, um, but uh, are not really involved with uh, the work that they're doing down there. So uh, as the project is at Scotchtown has been kicking off, um, we have been trying to uh, re-envision the interpretive plan um, at Scotchtown, uh, and we're just in the very beginning phases of it. And so one of the things that we, we knew was a, a, a 
huge missing piece to um, to Scotch Town's interpretation um, is the African American story. Uh, and so we knew that it was going to be essential moving forward um, to reach out to descendants of the people who had been enslaved at Scotchtown. Um, 2020 is the 300th year that, that Scotchtown will have been constructed. And so there's, uh, there's three, three decades of, of stories that have yet to be told. Um, currently, we're interpreting the house as the time period in which the Henry family lived there. So that's, a, that's about an eight-year time span. And we recognize that that short stint that we focus on is, is in fact, just a fraction of uh, the story we're trying to tell. So we um, enlisted the assistance of Andy Combo Floyd uh, to help us um, in our first step as we put together this project um, to, to try to get as many of the resources that we could together and then hopefully um, work with uh, descendant, uh, descendants from people who uh, were once enslaved at Scotchtown. Well, a question I have for you is because, I mean, this is a really, really huge project. I mean, you're talking about basically, you know, recreating a slavery-based family tree for the different people that work there. I mean, how do you even start to come up with a research strategy just to keep things organized? So the, the first step was to gather all of the public information that we could. Um, and so that was much of the work that that Andy really focused on um, was identifying uh, things that were in uh, information that was in churches, in public record uh, at the Library of Virginia, um, in, in the courthouse itself, and really just kind of starting by compiling um, the, the names and as much information as we possibly could. Uh, for the people who who we can find records for. Cool, because I'm kind of tackling it from the other end, looking, trying to build um, family trees for the people who were enslaved at Red Hill, which was Henry's other residence. Right. Um, and the problem that I'm having is because in the either the late 1800s or the late 1900s, one of his descendants actually really expanded that little house that was his house into this massive mansion that burned down. So all of those records, all of those records are gone. Um, there's a few records that are left remaining, but you can imagine what it's going to be like trying to um, trying to talk about it. So I can I can definitely empathize with you on that one. On that one. Yeah. So Jennifer, I'm I'm Danya, and um, I'm very interested in your project. First of all, is it possible for you to cut your thing down just a little bit more because it's pushing or feedback, or maybe if you have some type of headphones that you can plug in because it's making it a big feedback and I, I want people to hear everything that you have to say. I oh. apologize, but I can't, I, you're kind of going in and out. Um, so I'm not quite getting the, the, what you want me to answer. Okay, is this better? That's better. Okay. okay. All right, yeah, we were having a problem because of the um, your background. If you could cut it down just a little bit more, because it's it's showing, and we want people to hear you. Let's see. Does that sound better? Yes. That's yeah. better. Yes. <laughs> so now, okay. So now, let me ask my question. Um, I am a descendant of of Whitfield Brooks, Whitfield and, and Zachariah Brooks and Preston Brooks, all of that that whole group. 
And when Brian was explaining to me about your project, he used them as a as a as a uh, example. He actually said to me, "Okay, if you want to," he said, "What they do is." Let's say you took all of the enslaved people from Whitfield Brooks and you started to research them and try to connect them. I asked him not to put that in my head, but unfortunately it is now in my head. <laughs> so with that being said, what are the steps that, that have to be taken in order to do something so big? Because Whitfield was, he was a planter as well. And he had a hundred slaves at some point if not 95 or what have you i think the last count was like 98 yeah so that's a huge project how do you even start something like that just for future reference <laughs> so i'm actually to talk about two projects that we're working on um it, how, how am i sounding right now before yeah. i get into this we can still hear a little background but it, it's just a bit better, a bit better? Let me see if I can mess with it just the tiniest bit more. How's that? Is that even better? You sound good. Okay. Okay. Now, now. <laughs> All right. So because uh, Preservation Virginia owns and operates multiple different historic sites, I, I'm actually got. I have to bring in Bacon's Castle into this conversation a little bit. Um, and it's a great comparative study because at Bacon's Castle, um, it's the same process that we were able to start with. We were able to, um, it's a house that was constructed in 1665. So it's, it's over 350 years old now. Um, and it's in Surrey County, Virginia. And the same process that we went through with Scotchtown, we did at Bacon's Castle. So we compiled all of those original source materials, got as many names as we could. Um, but so, from that, what we were able to do um, was actually connect with a lot of modern day descendants uh, who, uh, who could trace their lineage back to people who were named in, in lists in these materials. Um, and so once we were able to, um, to meet with actual descendants from Bacon's Castle, um, we we kind of just as the network grew, we were able to reach out to even more and more descendants and piece together a lot of the family stories um, with the with the names that were in registers and family letters. Um, and so at, at Bacon's Castle, um, for example, one family didn't realize that um, the person who had enslaved their ancestor moved to Bacon's Castle from York County. So their line had stopped with Surrey and Bacon's Castle, and they had a really difficult time tracing it even further back. And we were, we were able to say, okay, but the person who um, had enslaved them had, had actually brought that, that family from a place in York County, on Cherry Hill in York County. And so because uh, the family was able to then go into the York County records, they were able to continue on that lineage uh, even several more uh, decades back. Wow. Wow. So that, that's a really successful example of some of the work that we're able to do. Yeah, that's excellent. And in terms of making your findings public, is there like a, is there going to be a public, is there going to be a public website that people can right. go to? Right. Um, 
So at this point, uh, our goal through this entire project has been to make sure that we are as public with this information as possible. So if anybody wants any of the compiled information that we have at this point in time, I just email them the link to everything. And I say pass this around because at this point we're, we're in an information gathering phase. And so, um, you know, we are, we are absolutely seeking anybody who has any connection to Scotchtown, to Beaver Dam, um, to the different families associated with, with Scotchtown. Um, and, but that's going, their plan is of course to continue uh, that openness. So sure, a website where it can live would be great. Um, I think that, um, that we would be, we would be open to multiple avenues for people being able to find out this information. Um, so having a link on our website, absolutely. Having blog posts, having uh, material, magazines, et cetera, et cetera. Any of those uh, would be options. You know, with the usual caveat of managing expectations, saying this is a project that's going to go on for years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and before we switch over to Andy for the for the second half of the show, um, can you just give me an idea of the different, just the number of archives or repositories that you you've had to go to for your research? The number of archives that we've had to go to. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I think that that Andy can probably answer that question more than I can. Um, so it's she visited multiple churches. I think that most of the um, most of the information that we actually were able to find were from church records. Um, and then uh, the let's see where else we were able to go to the Library of Virginia, um, look through census data, through um, let's see. I guess county death records is another big one. Um, but I think Andy could probably give you a more complete record of everywhere she reached out to. Okay, well, that'll be good. Because again, I think, I think specifically African-American researchers are always surprised to find out that there are records at the parish level in the, in the colonial period. Yeah, I, I was getting ready to say the same thing because um, that's the problem in South Carolina, looking at the church records in South Carolina because they didn't keep them that well. <laughs> At least the churches, the African-American. So that was my question to you. Is this African-American churches or that you got this from, or was this the slave owners churches and then they had records and things like it's slave owners church. Oh, okay. Okay. They're being, they're being baptized. Ah, okay. Okay. That's awesome. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I would definitely would like to have you back on the show to talk more about what Preservation Virginia does yes. as a whole, because you guys are just involved in so much, and all of it's really important. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's an honor to be on your show, and uh, I have to say that um, it's the most interesting and fulfilling work that that I have the opportunity to do, So, um, and to do it in, across so many different counties is just it's really it's really amazing uh to see um the to see the lineages that uh that that we've been able to find and connect is just it's really amazing and wonderful and it's an honor to be involved and of course we have a lot of work left to do to um to start mapping the people who are at scotchtown back to the people who were at red hill mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have we have that fun to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 
we'll connect after uh, after this this chat and we'll talk some more. <laughs> it was wonderful meeting you, Jennifer. Um, I'm probably gonna get with you as well because my Brooks line started in Virginia. You know, everything starts in Virginia. So and, before, and yeah. yeah, and my Brooks line goes from Virginia into the Edgefield 96th District, South Carolina area. So I. I'm going to have to get in touch with you and see exactly where, because I believe Zachariah was the first one. Yes, I think he was. Yeah, I think Zachariah was the one that came from Virginia into that area. And then we also connect to the Butlers, who were also from Virginia, and Zachariah married into that Butler family. So who knows? It's probably some type of connection somewhere in there. And um, I, I, I will definitely reach out to you. Excellent. Wonderful. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Well, you have a great day and thank you for being on the show. All right. Thanks for having right. me. Have a good day. So we're going to quickly put our intro um, video up as we get our second guest, Andy, on the line, and we will be back with you shortly. No, you're fine, because this is your thing, you know, I'm learning. This is, this is new for me. Oh, she was about to sit down. <laughs> I don't know who, where she was doing. She was about to come. She was like, doing like this. Is she on the line? Hey, guys. Hey, Andy. Hi, Andy. Hey, how's the sound? Is this okay? Oh yeah, you're good. Yep, you're you're sounding good. fine. What we're gonna yeah. do is we're gonna say hi to our to those that are following right now, and um, then Brian is gonna, you know, introduce you and talk about what you're doing. I'm so glad to finally meet you. You and I are friends on Facebook. I know we are. I was yay! I'm excited. <laughs> All right, give us a sec. And we're back. So before we get into um, our next guest, we want to say hi to you guys because we haven't seen you. And also just to let you know that this week starts our weekly shows. So this is the first one. This is the first week of our weekly shows. And we're going to sit and um, be able to see you guys every Sunday at four o'clock. And hopefully this will push our show to another level and, you know, just bring in more people. And we want you guys to share the post share let them know that we're coming in at you know four o'clock live so before we say hi to andy we want to say hi to everybody who's online right now so um we have deborah and and renette and we want to say hi to you guys and just to all those that are watching that haven't put anything up there but we still you know just want to see how you guys are doing and hope everything is well and don't forget you can ask questions um, if you have any questions for anybody, if you're doing any research in Virginia, these are the people that you need to ask the questions to. So our, everything is all connected. We don't have we don't have any Facebook issues. We're waiting for your questions. <laughs> <laughs> and without further ado, hello, Andy. Yes. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm fine, and it's such a pleasure to finally actually um, we're getting closer to actually meeting in person. <laughs> 
Someday we're all going to end up at the same conference at the same yes, time. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad to meet you because we're friends on Facebook. So this is just so I'm just excited. I love your kid and just everything, you know. <laughs> I love well, he's outside stories. with his dad now because I said you have to be quiet. All right, I got you, got you, got you. <laughs> so I'd like to pick up where we kind of left off with Jennifer. Yes. And just to get an idea of just the sheer number of different repositories and archives you had to go, that you're going to, to even build this initial picture. Yeah, so I always start with public records because typically they're the easiest ones, right? They're in the courthouse. You can walk in and look them up. I don't say they're easy for African-American research, but they're easier, right? Um, but in Hanover County, where Scottsdale is located, it's in Bourne County. So during the Civil War, they came through, they burned all the records in the courthouse. So there are almost no extant wills for the slave owners at Scotchtown. Um, there's very few even court records that exist. So that wasn't the treasure trove that it often is at Scotchtown. Um, so what I ended up doing was doing the little bit of research that did survive. So some of the circuit court records ended up at um, in Richmond where they did survive. So there was a little bit of information in there. There were some, uh, as Jen said, there had been some research done earlier and there were some journals of a couple of gentlemen who had visited Scotchtown um, early in the Chisel period. So the Chisels built the house. And then their descendants owned it for a while. Patrick Henry lived there for eight years, roughly. And then it ended up being sold into the Shepherd family. And the Shepherd family, for those of you guys that do Virginia research, was a big deal, right? You guys have Shepherd people. Yeah, that's, that's, what, I, that's what you just saw me like, our Shepherds? So, <laughs> woo, okay. Yeah. So they end up, the Shepherds end up having the farm, their descendants own it until emancipation. So then, but it becomes the Taylor place. So when you're looking at the records, they're kin to the Shepherds, but they're actually the Taylors in 1810 to 1865. And the Taylors, of course. So it's like all the rich white people in Virginia at the time knew everybody. So like everybody's connected to them in some place, right? So, um, so I started then looking for where those people had been. You know, so churches, family documentation, those journals that the people that had visited the Chisels were. And the Chisels had lead mines and a couple other industry things. So they tended to have people enslaved, um, sort of, it sounds terrible to say, but more commercially. So not necessarily working on their place, on the place they lived, but more working in a business that they owned. Um, the best repositories that I found for documentary evidence were um, at Mount Olivet Baptist Church in Beaver Dam, which is a white church, um, still is. Um, you can drive by and it looks like every other Virginia Baptist church, you know, it's like a brick edifice. And I write, usually I write white churches with like one tiny smidgen of hope, but the people on Mount Olivet wrote me back in an hour. They put me in touch with their pastor and then wow. they passed information to all of the older members of their congregation. Wow. They were really very deeply invested in having, um, in helping as much as they could because the tailors and the shepherds had been members there and their enslaved community members had been members there. So this adorable gentleman who uh, was well into his 80s when we talked called me because he couldn't figure out the electric mail is what he said. 
It's very sweet. And he said, I have a, a, a membership list. Um, it goes from about 1851 to 1865. And there are uh, black people on that list. Wow. Would you like it? No, I'm not. No, really. no, I'm that's because you believe in that. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm looking for. No, thanks. <laughs> but again, this so must be he, such, such a brilliant project for you because you come from such a strong writing background. And like, you're just getting ready to tell us a really interesting story. And this must be like a writer's dream come true. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's the best work I get to do um, because it is stories and it's recovering stories from people whose stories have been, I don't like to say they've been erased, I just say that they've been hidden That's and sometimes very intentionally hidden. Yeah. And um, yeah, so yeah, that's the bet. The churches had great information in Scotch Town. There were a few documentary pieces. There's a uh, Virginia slave birth records were pretty strong. We got a few names there. Um, there was slave death records, had a few names in them. But because it's a Bird County, and Jen, you could hear it in her voice. You need to talk about Bacon's Castle because we didn't make a lot of progress here. We ended up, for your listeners, if they're interested, with two really strong surname connections. One was Johnson, which is basically, you know, the whole great world. and not helpful. But yeah, because they're kin to everybody on the earth, right? And then Tyree, which is a more unusual name. Um, and so I was writing it down just to make sure I got his first name right. His name is Charles Tyree, and he was enslaved at Scotchtown. And the Tyrees, I know Tyrees from Albemarle, which is closer to the part of Virginia I actually live in. And so we're doing, I'm doing some work with a couple of people who have Tyree ancestors, and we're trying to see if we can follow them back, you know, further east and see if we can take it back. Um, the Johnsons, if you guys are interested, the people, first names were Beverly and Elizabeth. That was the married couple. And then they had three children, four children, Bartlett, Harriet, Ann, Rose, and George Anna. I'm able to find Harriet Ann in the 1870 census, and she marries a Bates, which is another good Virginia name. Um, but they don't have any children. You have Bateses too. Oh yeah. Everybody's That's... kin to everybody. <laughs> my my Bateses go back to Verina or Verina, however you pronounce yeah. it. They're there. They're Verina. They never... here. Yeah. Verina. They never left. They were always there. So. That's a so are you finding that the, the, the enslaved people that you're finding so far, are you finding that they're all related to each other in one way? Have you been able to connect them like that? We haven't been able to connect them like that because I haven't found enough surnames. Okay. So um, if I had more surnames, we would definitely find like, and I've done this plantation based research in about, this is about the eighth place I've done it. So we always find there's lots of intermarriages when people can't leave a place. Yeah. You know, the options they have for people to marry or the people they live and work with every day, you know, so um, and often they fall deeply in love and sometimes they do it out of convenience, just like everybody gets married. Right. So um, but here we don't have enough data yet to know whether that's true. And I know Jen is continuing to work. I've uh, the, my portion of the project ended. So because I had done all the archival work that there was to do that we know of, at least right now. And so she's continuing to do the descendant community work, connecting with people and hoping to do the way we do genealogy traditionally, right? From now back. And I usually go from the back forward. So, I mean, the, the name Beverly is already interesting me already because there was the Beverly family, the enslaving Beverly's who there was three or four branches in Hanover. 
So yeah. immediately I'm thinking, well, does he, did he have a connection? Because that's one thing that our enslaved ancestors were good at. They were very good in encoding their ancestry in the names that they, the names that they named their children. But Beverly yeah, was his first name, right? Yeah, but they do That's his first name. Mm -hmm. But it's very possible that, yeah, they had ties to the Beverly family in some way mm -hmm. um, and wanted to keep that connection clear. So they named a child Beverly at some point. We see Beverly, it's a pretty common enslaved name here in Virginia for men. Um, it hadn't become a traditional woman's name at that point. So, but we don't see it. Um, I don't see it in this part of Virginia that often. Further west, where I live, there's, there are more Beverly's, probably because the tie to the enslavement by the Beverly family is less, so that this, the pain of that is lessened, and they are wanting to hold that connection back. Like where I grew up on the plantation I grew up on, there are Skipwith, but they don't, we haven't yet been able to find out if they were enslaved by the Skipwith family, or they just took that name because they wanted to show some sort of allegiance to that family or connection to that region of Virginia in Richmond, but or you don't just, know yet. Or just because. <laughs> yeah. You right. know, because they got into that point where, you know, people were taking names because they didn't want to be named something else. And yeah. So I, I definitely understand that. Well, I have a question that um, something that Jennifer touched on about Bacon's Castle, which is going to be interesting for us, because most of Johnny and I are enslaving white ancestors, pass their farms or their estates down from generation to generation, generation, even if they only had a female child, she inherited parts of it, parts of that, and then carries on through, you know, through her family. But what Jennifer was talking about was working with um, an African-American researcher whose ancestors were taken from Hat York to right. Bacon's Castle. And the whole reason why they couldn't find them in and around any earlier than that was they weren't looking in the right place. From what you're finding so far, what tends to happen when a plantation or family farm passes out of that family's hands? What's happening with the enslaved people? Are they all sold? Are they sold to the, the new the new owners? Yeah, it's Scotchtown, yes. And no, yeah, yes, there was an auction. Much like at Monticello, that's the famous auction, right? So very similar. And so some of the people that were enslaved there were sold at that auction. Um, and because I don't have surnames, I can't follow them. You know, I, too many Georges. I can't follow George Vice just on his first name. But it does look like there's a woman at that's enslaved at Scotchtown. Her first name is Dinah, and she's the cook, we believe, at Scotchtown. Well, there's a woman at Red Hill when Patrick Henry dies in the inventory of his state named Dinah. And so it kind of looks like, and the, I mean, there could have been another woman named Dinah, right? We have to kind of make a leap of faith here. But it's, it's possible that that same woman was enslaved at Scotchtown under Patrick Henry and then ends up moving to Red Hill with him. Um, don't know that for sure, but it's a possibility. Um, and it, it, it kind of just depends on the economic condition of the enslaver. Do they need to sell people because they need money? Or can they move their entire farm, including everyone and everything, to their new place. In Patrick Henry's case, he's an unusual enslaver because he's not a planter. You know, he was an attorney. Um, so he doesn't have that kind of connection to his enslaved community because he wasn't there a lot. Um, and he had a wife who was very unwell. 
Um, it, all records indicate he was a wonderful family man, um, but he just wasn't there. You know, he had speeches to make and politics to do and just wasn't around. So he, it's possible, but he also had the financial means to probably take most of his people with him. See, again, I, I don't I'm, know if I answered. I'm not really sure what word I want to use, but for time, um, I guess based on my research, what I'm finding with Patrick Henry is he had a handful of enslaved people that he either trusted or really respected or had some sort of connection, connection with that he would take back and forth from Red Hill to Scotchtown and vice versa. So people like his head driver, um, not drivers and making people work in the fields, but physically, you know, driving the, the buggies and looking after the horses, his, if you want to call him a valet, Diana, I think Diana or Dinah is one of the same person, because you can imagine if you have a cook that, that knows all of your personal preferences. They you're gotta gonna, come with me. You gotta, gonna go with me. <laughs> they gotta come with I me. I like my potatoes this way. That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, my yeah. thing, I'm still kind of taken aback from the 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 fact because it just never dawned on me to check the the white churches in mm. South Carolina. And according to Jennifer, that's what you did. You actually was going to those white churches. Exactly how much information did did you find from those places? Like can you, for example, can you find maybe a uh, a birthing information about Donna to at least give you a possible age or something? It's yeah, it probably depends. I I don't know South Carolina records as well. No, but I I'm do talking know about South Carolina. as far as your Virginia, like what you did oh, yeah, in Virginia, because this yeah. I never thought to do that in South Carolina, and this yeah. is something that you did in Virginia. Yeah, and I don't know. Nothing that I've ever found has been as detailed as say like English Catholic parish records, where you'll get a birth and all the marriage records. In the list I got from Mount Olivet was a membership roster. Okay. So it's, um, and, it, and it's a white, there's a white roster and then there's a, a colored roster. And the colored roster lists the enslavers. Um, I think it says owners is the actual wording on there. So I'm able to look for the people I know that own Scotchtown and then tie it to the first names. And Charles Tyree, the only reason I know his surname is that he's listed by both names on that list. Wow. Okay. For whatever reason that we, I don't know why he in particular, um, there might've been another Charles and they're differentiating, who knows, but, um, here it's just their membership status. And then when their membership ended. And so sometimes it's, they died. And so their membership is over, but there's a lot of people on this list that, um, are listed as disassociated. And, but it's all in 1863, 64, 65. And that's the same period of time that Ebenezer Baptist Church, the black church up the road started forming. Uh, and so it looks like all of these folks moved because now they could have their own church. So they, they probably asked to have their membership shifted. But I remember seeing, like, um, I've done a lot of research in New Kent County mm -hmm. and places like St. Peter's Parish you can actually get really early colonial period baptism entry, wow. and not records, but at least entries for a lot of the enslaved people. Wow. And, it will, and it will say slave of and the, and who it is. And the enslaver. Wow. So were you able to get anything from Ebenezer? Because that's where my issue is. Like our African-American churches, they weren't keeping records. Not like that.
Oh, we lost you. Hold on. Hold on one second. We we can't hear you. Well, as we're um, here we go. What you say? Oh, oh. It, it seems like you've dropped on that end. Can you say something? She can't hear us. Okay. Yeah, I've lost you. Oh, oh there you are. There you are. <laughs> can you hear us? <laughs> yes, now I can hear you. I know you guys had a delightful conversation, but I didn't hear any of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so my question was, as far as um, African-American churches, were you able to get anything from those churches? I've reached out, and, and this is where um racism has still has deep roots right so i'm a white researcher i have done this a lot i have lots of people that trust me to do this work but if i walk in and you see me it doesn't necessarily guarantee that i'm going to honor your story as well so it has been harder in hanover there's a pretty big divide between the white and black community still um because there's, and they just recently, very, very recently, had the KKK do a huge rally downtown in the courthouse, at the courthouse. So it's not, I wouldn't even say it's distrust. It's just a long pattern of people misusing stories. And so I did not get responses from the black churches. I did meet with a couple of African, there's an African-American um, heritage society there. And I talked to their president. He was lovely. Um, but this is also, some of the challenge of this is also people don't necessarily know they have ties to Scotchtown because Scotchtown hasn't ever done this research before. So nobody's reached out to them. They may have connections and they just don't know it yet. Right. Um, so, you know, you say, well, do you have any ties to Scotchtown? If they don't know, they're going to say no. And so then there's no, they feel like there's nothing to, to talk to me about. Right. I did talk to a bunch of people in a community called Anfield in Hanover County, which is a black community that is on the back side of what would have been the Scotchtown original property. Um, I talked to a couple people there. I sent letters to every individual that lived on that road. Poor people. I'm like, did that lady write you too? I'm sure that's what they were saying. But I wanted to try to see if anybody knew anything. And a couple people reached out to me and said that the Gardner family had long time ties to Scotchtown. Um, but I haven't been able to trace the gardeners forward. Wow. So I don't have, I can find them now, and I, but I can't find them back then and I can't make that connection. So that I just haven't had those inroads yet. And I don't live in the county, so right. I can't really do that kind of connecting directly myself because I'm not there every day, you know, at the grocery store. Right. It's interesting that you actually, um, had this basically the same issues that we had as far as going to a white institution and saying, um, yeah, I'm, I'm related to you. And they're looking at you like, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> you know, So you have some that just will answer. So that's, that's very interesting to hear that you actually have that same that same issue yes that was interesting yeah right and right in hanover right up from scotchtown there's an intersection and it's actually on all the old maps and it's labeled as negro foot took me a while to get somebody to tell me the story but an enslaved man was lynched and then 
unfortunately mutilated. And so this part of his body was left right there. So that racism and the hatred there is strong. were really strong, yeah. you know? And so and I, I don't, I make a commitment when I do these kinds of projects that I will ask, but I don't push because it's not, I'm not going to make somebody tell me something because they don't know me. They, they need to trust me to do that. So um, yeah, I mean, I love, I would love to get more contacts in Hanover directly. And I know Jennifer would too. So if people are interested in talking about things, um, all the information we have made is public. And actually, I, Jen probably doesn't know this, but I put a slideshow um, presentation I did about this research up on SlideShare, the LinkedIn public uh, PowerPoint thing. Then you can just find it by searching Scotchtown. And it has copies of the images of the documents we have because Preservation Virginia really does want to make us as public as possible. Well, we need to put that link. That link is definitely going to get up here. I was going to say, if you can email me that link, I will definitely, definitely get that out. Yeah. We'll do for sure. You know, I'm pretty good at that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, um, my last question, because uh, we're, we're going to be wrapping up real quickly, but um, have you guys, okay, so don't get mad at me, but I'm kind of that blunt one in the group. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way I gotta say it um, have you thought about when you're doing those types of things to take an African American genealogist along with you I mean we're, we're kind of like missing from the table From we, we need a seat and, and having that seat at the table it allows you to get what you want on that end and for us to get what we want on our end when you're you know so have you have you guys gotten anybody like included someone yeah we we've talked to a couple of people we had a particular person who was very interested and then she just got very busy with her own projects and so that just didn't i think she's coming back into the project which is great but it just didn't work out in that way okay. i've made a commitment because i think this is so important that i always try to find someone an african-american genealogist to do this work before i take the job um there just are not enough genealogist period, but then also African-American genealogists who have this space um, for all kinds of reasons, systemic problems, you know, that have to do with having to work in a different way than I have to work because of the way I look. Um, but I do want to try to always do that and defer to people of color to do this work about their own people. I mean, that's yeah. just better. It's just better. And you know that I would love, love, love to do it, but um, I'm nowhere near where Scotchtown is. Right. And that's the other challenge, right, is finding some, because you do have to go there. I mean, and most of us don't have the economics to fly in for a couple days at the courthouse, and that's that's the challenge. But I did it, I mean, I lived an hour and a half away, and even for me, that was a challenge to get over there enough to do the, to do the work. Well, thank you, and thank Jennifer as well for um, sharing part of your Sunday with us and telling people about what you're doing with uh, Preservation Virginia and uh, the work at Scotchtown. I hope um, people have taken little nuggets away. Again, this is really, you know, it is challenging um, when you're trying to research poorly documented ancestors. They don't come more poorly documented than enslaved people. Hmm. Um, but I hope that just in the course of listening to us chat and discuss, you know, the people are aware of, you know, there are archives that they can go to. There are repositories that they can go to. Right. And even in a burnt county, there's still footprints. Right. You just have to think outside of the box to, to be able to see them and follow them. And um, we have one person who actually came on and they made the comment, check with the Augs 
which is the African-American um, Genealogical and Historical Society, maybe there may be a genealogist within there that would be able to participate and help. And thank you, Jenny, yeah. that, that's a good idea. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, the whole thing, and, and that was something else that Janice said was networking is important. You know, we have to be able to connect. We, I, I hold genealogists, whether they're black, white, or what have you, I hold them to a higher standard because they actually have the true history of America. And we sit up here and we know this. And it's, I feel like at this point, it's kind of like our job to get that truth out there. And the only way to get that truth out there is for us to work together. So um, it's really great that to know that you do do what you do. And I'm not even shocked because I, I just, I've learned who you are. <laughs> so it's just, it's an awesome. I'm so glad to meet you. It's so nice to see both of you. And thanks for having us on. No problem. Oh, thank you. All right. See you. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> So guys, this was our show and we thank you for saying it was a good show. This was, this was Brian's show because <laughs> I didn't know anything about this. Brian is that direct connection into um, Patrick Henry. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So what's, what's next week? It's your guest next week. That's right. It's my guest next week. So next week, you guys, we are going to be talking to Carolyn and I hope I'm not saying her name incorrectly. Nilochian. Carolyn is a reparations genealogist. So we're going to be talking to her about reparations and how genealogy connects and how it can, you know, work as far as African Americans are concerned. I'm truly excited about this one because, you know, reparations is a uh, little Sore topic. Yeah. A little, little touchy. A little, little problem little there. It's just little. So we're going to definitely do that. But we want to thank you guys again for watching us. And we hope to see you guys next week. Until then, have a good day. All right. Bye.